God's word with you this morning, and we are in the midst of a series called Villains versus Heroes about some of the people in the book of First Samuel from the Old Testament. And Pastor Mark kicked us off two weeks ago by giving sort of an introduction to the book of First Samuel and talking about the idea of defining success according to God. Now, I grew up in south-central Kansas in a small town called Mulvane. And at the, town, at the time, it was a town of about 4,000 people. And when I graduated from Mulvane High School in 1992, there were exactly 100 graduates, 50 boys and 50 girls. And I was one of two people voted most likely to succeed. Now, 10 years later... I'm living outside of Oil City, Pennsylvania, and it's time for me to go back to Mulvane for my 10-year high school reunion. And I am keenly aware that in the world's eyes and in the eyes of many of my high school classmates, my life does not look very successful in terms of my marital status, my career and finances, my home. But I head back to Mulvane for my 10-year high school reunion which, by the way, was in a very fine pole barn at the main intersection in Mulvane, air conditioning and everything. And I get there and reunite with these friends, and one of the gals says to me, Jen Ashby, I cannot wait to hear what you are doing, because so many mornings I open the newspaper. This was back when people really opened the newspaper. I open the newspaper and I expect to read some fantastic thing that you're doing. And so I told her, honestly, like what my life was really like at that point and what I was up to. And I could tell that she was trying to be supportive, but she was actually kind of disappointed and a little confused <laughs> that my life uh, didn't look the way she maybe thought it was going to. Not that successful from the world's perspective. However, at that same season in my life, I was on this grand adventure of learning how to actually hear the voice of God and to respond to the voice of God and be part of things that were really successful in the kingdom. So a couple years after that reunion, I had moved to Nyack, New York to finish my seminary degree. And for 10 or 12 months before I moved, I worked really, really hard and I saved up a lot of money so that when I was in Nyack, I could go to school full-time, work part-time, sort of slowly live off my savings while it dwindled down, trusting that when I graduated, I was going to be able to get a job. So I'm living and studying and working in Nyack, and one day this thought comes to me, you know, it'd be really cool to give this particular person in my church this particular amount of money. And then I immediately thought, as nice as that would be, I can't do that. I'm a student. I'm going to need that money later. I'm going to need that money later. And then I went to church that Sunday morning. We had a guest speaker that day. And he preached um, from 1 Kings 17 when Elijah goes to the widow of Zarephath and says to her, would you take your oil and your flour and make me some bread? And she says, I can't do that because I'm going to need that later. 
And I thought, what is happening? Um, God just really like opened me up to the quick. And I realized pretty quickly, okay, that wasn't just my thought before. That was God's thought. And so I went to the bank. I withdrew that amount of money. I put it in an envelope. I took it to the church secretary, who I trusted very much, and said, I would like you to give this to this person anonymously for me. And she said, yes, of course. She calls me a couple of days later, and she said, Jen, the man came to pick up the envelope. And she said, you're never going to believe this, but when he opened the envelope, he was dumbfounded because he had felt led to lead a mission trip to, at the time, tsunami-affected Indonesia, and he had no idea how God was going to provide the money. And I didn't know that this guy was even considering a mission trip. But it's a phenomenal thing when God is speaking and people are responding and God's purposes get advanced. That's kingdom success. And it's also a theme in the life of Samuel, who's the character that we're going to look at today. Now, ironically, it's Father's Day, and Samuel is a family name in my family. I've got all kinds of relatives named Samuel, uh, and my dad went by Sam. So this one's for you, Dad. So last week, Pastor Mark talked about Hannah, Samuel's mother. And he talked about Samuel's miraculous birth and how he grew up at Shiloh under the direction of Eli, the priest. If you didn't hear that message from last week, I encourage you to go online to DerwoodAlliance.org and listen to that. Samuel grew up to be the last of the judges and the first of the prophets who came alongside kings. So here on our Bible timeline, Samuel's life spans from judges, where you see the gavel, to kingdom, where you see the crown. And the reason that First and Second Samuel, that was originally one book in the Old Testament, the reason that it's named for Samuel and not for, say, David, who's a lot well better known today, the reason it's named for Samuel is that Samuel is the one who is credited with guiding Israel through this major transition. It's a transition uh, from the periodic partial rule of judges to an institutionalized monarchy. And while there are many things that we could learn from Samuel's life, this morning we're focusing on this idea that listening leads to kingdom success. Listening to God leads to kingdom success success. And I didn't say hearing, I said listening, because listening implies a response and some obedience. Those of you who are parents don't just want your children to hear you, you want them to listen to you and respond and obey. So today we'll look at four scenes from Samuel's life, but there's a whole lot more to him than that. So I encourage you to read 1 Samuel for yourself. Uh, If you don't have a Bible of your own, we have some available at the Welcome Center that are a gift to you. We'd love for you to take one. We also recommend the version. It's a free app that you can put on your phone and read the Bible from there. You can also see the notes for this morning on version, or you can use the copies that are right in front of you. So let's jump into these few scenes from Samuel's life. Scene one is from 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
Allow me to summarize it for you. Samuel and Eli the priest are in the house of the Lord at Shiloh. This Jewish historian Josephus estimates that Samuel is around 12 years old when this is taking place. It's very late into the night, not quite the early morning light yet. And Samuel hears a voice call his name. And so he gets up, he goes to Eli and says, here I am. And Eli says, I didn't call you, go back to where you were. Well, it happens again. And it happens again. And finally, Eli realizes it is, in fact, the Lord who is calling Samuel. And so this is what unfolds beginning in verse 9. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. If you read on, God does speak. And Samuel shares with Eli what he has heard God say. It's something that God has already spoken to Eli through another man. And in the following chapters, all that God has said comes to pass. It comes true. From this scene, we get this idea of learning to listen. Learn to listen. You see, Samuel was not born with a fully developed ability to hear God's voice. This was something that, at least in part, he learned. He was serving in the house of the Lord, day in and day out, familiarizing himself with everything related to the Lord. Not just trying to connect with God in a crisis, but this was actually part of his normal life. He also had something of a mentor in Eli. And in the verses we read, we can see Eli becomes instrumental in Samuel learning to recognize the voice of the Lord. As the scene unfolds, we can see that Samuel, in the middle of the night, he stays still, he stays quiet, waiting for God to speak. And he listens with a servant's attitude, not just hearing, but listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then he essentially tests what he has heard in community. He tests it by sharing, with, sharing it with Eli, who confirms it. And then he tests by just waiting to see if it really happens. Samuel, at least to some extent, learned how to listen. Learned how to recognize God's voice and respond to it. I would go so far as to say is that he intentionally set out to learn this by engaging in these practices. And I believe that those are the, some of the same practices that we are meant to engage in as well. You may be thinking, this is Old Testament. Samuel was a prophet. What does that have to do with me now? So I am not here to tell you this morning that we are all to be prophets in the same kind of way that Samuel was a prophet, where he heard from God and that became scripture. Scripture is completed. It is whole. 
But Jesus did say in John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. How will we know if we're having one of those moments when the Holy Spirit is teaching us all things? How will we know that? Besides the fact that we know it's going to align with Scripture, and we know we'll eventually be able to confirm it in community. How do we learn to listen? I think we're meant to learn a lot of the same ways that Samuel meant to learn. I want to recommend to you a brief video series that's available on Right Now Media. It's by Mark Batterson, and it's called Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. If you don't already have an account set up with Right Now Media, it's totally free, uh, and we can get you connected. So just uh, let the church office know, and we'll make sure you have that. But this is a brief video series of, I think, four pieces none of which is more than about 15 minutes long, but some really helpful thoughts and practices about learning to recognize the voice of God when he's speaking. I also want to share a modern-day story of God speaking, and I think we have a video ready for you. I'm Nanette. I'm from South Africa, and this is the real story of how I heard God's voice. I grew up in a Christian family, so I was very fortunate to have a good relationship with God from a very young age. And as I almost finished school, I was really thinking about where I should go study. And the obvious decision would have been to stay in the town where I grew up, because there was a very good university there. But for some reason, I just felt that there must be something more. So at first I started to pray about it, but I wasn't too sure because I, I didn't hear his voice. And there was different things that made it difficult for me, like living with my family and friends and also having a semi-serious relationship. I kept on praying. God did speak to me, but he didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. He basically brought someone up in my mind and, and told me that I first need to forgive. So I texted the guy and I made an appointment with him because I felt that God wanted me not only to forgive in my heart, but to face it and literally tell someone out loud and say, I forgive you and I want to move on with my life. I'm putting all of this in my past and I don't care what you do with that. That's what I need to do for myself. So I did that. I'm sorry, I forgive you. And afterwards, I went back and it's almost like I felt God should immediately give me answers, but it didn't work like that. It got to the point where I got accepted at both of the universities and had place in the race and all of that, but I had one more day to decide before I had to confirm where I'm gonna go study. And the night before, I just prayed again and I just thought I'm giving it back to him again and I will honestly do whatever he asked me to. So that night I went to sleep with the most amazing peace. I actually got a dream and I saw in front of me a map and I saw the flag of where I'm staying now and it literally got pulled out by a bigger hand and it got moved up, up, up in the country. What happened was I woke up the next morning and I was happy but I was confused and I went back to God and I was like, I need you to give me even something more. So I opened my Bible and I got Acts 7 verse 3 which says, leave your country and your people, God said and go to the land that I will show you. And at that moment, I had a bit more peace, but I just felt a bit hesitant still. And I thought, I'll just have my quiet time and take it from there. And when I read in the Bible, where I actually would have read that morning, 
I even got scripture again saying that God told the Israelites to move and He will be with them and He will guide them and show them. And at that stage, I looked at my phone and I received a message from someone in my life who didn't really know what I was going through. And they just told me they need to send me this verse. And it was a third one of God telling people in the Bible to make a massive decision and to move and to leave everything behind. And I realized I can't fight anymore. This is God's plan. So I decided to obviously follow through with it and make the move. And if I look back today, I'm really glad I did it. I finished my studies there. I met amazing people, made amazing memories. My relationship didn't work out, but I also know that was part of God's plan. And it's just amazing to be somewhere where you know God sent you and is with you all the way. And therefore, I wouldn't change it for anything. So our God is not just a God of the past. He is also a God of the present, and he is still speaking, and we are to learn to listen. So that's scene one. Scene two from Samuel's life comes from First Samuel chapter 8. So let me summarize for you what's happened in the story. Samuel has grown up. He has become a judge in Israel. In this context, that means more like a local leader. Uh, So he got married. He had at least two sons that we know about. We don't know if he had any daughters. Samuel's in his 50s now, and he has appointed his two sons to also be judges or local leaders. However, his sons are not like him. They are dishonest. They take bribes, etc., etc. And then we have these verses, 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And then if you keep reading, uh, God uses Samuel to warn the people what will happen if they have a human king. Virtually every part of their life will be taxed, and their sons and daughters and they themselves will be drafted into the king's service. But the people insist they want a king, they want to be like other nations. And God says to Samuel, give them a king. From this scene, we get this idea of listening to God in criticism. When Pastor Mark introduced this series, he talked about how none of these people in the book of 1 Samuel are completely flawless, and none of them are completely flawed. They are, in fact, people. They're human. They're complex. And this is one of the places that we see this in Samuel's life. He did not have a perfect family. His sons were kind of a mess. And we don't know from the text uh, if any of that had to do with Samuel's parenting. (laughs) We do know that Samuel appointed these sons as leaders, which does make me a little bit puzzled. And when the elders confront Samuel with criticism, this is one of their accusations. Your sons do not follow your ways. And the other accusation is, you are old. 
Now, if I'm doing the math right, Samuel's in his 50s at this point. And let me tell you that now that I'm in my 40s, 50s really does not seem old at all to me. But nevertheless, this is what the people said to him. And then later they say uh, another reason for wanting a king is that they want to be like other nations. So here is the thing about criticism. When we receive criticism, almost always there is at least a grain of truth in it. And sometimes there's a lot more truth in it than just a grain. But most of the time when we receive criticism, there's at least a grain of truth in it. Samuel's sons were a mess. Uh, Samuel was older than he was before this. And if Samuel were to die and these dishonest sons were to be left in charge without Samuel's sort of moderating presence... That could be bad. However, here's the other thing about criticism. Sometimes what is expressed as criticism isn't the primary issue at all. In this case, God says to Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but rather they have rejected me as their king. In other words, God is saying, this isn't really primarily about your sons or your age. There is something else going on here. Just like Samuel, when we receive criticism, we are displeased. That's the word that's used in the text here for Samuel. When he heard this, he was displeased. When we receive criticism, we are often displeased. We may also be devastated or outraged or defensive or any number of things. But at the very least, let's just say that receiving criticism is challenging. And I will tell you from personal experience that when I'm receiving criticism, that's one of the times I most need to listen to the Lord. I most need to do what Samuel did. It says here, he heard this, he was displeased, and he prayed. (laughs) And that's what I need to do when I receive criticism. To pray, to ask, and to listen, to understand what is the truth in this that I need to take in. What is the truth in this that I do need to respond to? Something I need to repent of. I'm also asking... Lord, is there something else going on here besides what was plainly said? Is there something more important going on behind this criticism that I also need to understand? And that also might affect how much I take this to heart. So that's scene two, listen to God in criticism. Scene three is from 1 Samuel chapter 12. So by the time we get to chapter 12, under God's direction, Samuel has anointed a man named Saul to be Israel's first king. Saul has become king, and Samuel makes a big speech in this chapter. Here are just a few verses from it. Uh, 1 Samuel 12, beginning in verse 23. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, 
both you and your king will perish. And then in the next few chapters, Samuel, following this pattern of listening and obeying, listening and obeying, he confronts Saul with some sin. And then he tells Saul that God has rejected him as king of Israel. And then Samuel anoints David, who's going to be the next king of Israel. And then with Saul as king, but David anointed as the next king, Samuel watches this rivalry like grow and grow. From this chapter, this scene, and the things around it, we get this idea of listening to God in change. I'm talking about this decades-long change that Israel was going through. From Israel as a theocracy, theocracy, where by and large God was ruling the people directly, to a monarchy with a human king. A human king who was supposed to in some ways, represent the people to God and represent God to the people. Samuel found himself in the midst of this massive change that he did not choose. He was not particularly in favor of this change. He did not vote for this change. Remember when the people said, give us a king, he was like, time out. But he finds himself not only in the midst of it and needing to tolerate it himself, but also needing to rise up and help some other people through it. To rise up and lead some other people through this change that he did not choose. It's also change that does not exalt him, exalt Samuel. God's going to use Samuel to anoint somebody else as king twice. And yet, what you see through this big transition is Samuel listening obeying, and in these verses it says praying, teaching, he's prophesying. As I said earlier, it's Samuel who's credited with maintaining the DNA of Israel, the DNA of their relationship with God through this major transition. I think that all of us in this room, regardless of our age and our circumstances, can think of a time when change that we did not choose was thrust upon us, when a change we did not vote for invaded our lives. And probably a number of us can think of times when we didn't just have to tolerate that change ourselves, but we had to lead our families through it. We had to help our work groups through it. We had to help our, th- our friends through it. It is vital in those kinds of times to listen to God. To listen and obey God in times of change. Because if we don't, things can really crash. But if we do, we can not only get through it with the important things intact, but the greater purposes of God can be advanced. So that's scene three, listen to God in change. And the fourth and final scene we will look at this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 19. So here's what has happened. This tension between King Saul and the upcoming King David, it has mounted and mounted and mounted. And among other things, Samuel has, excuse me, Saul has tried to kill David by throwing a javelin at him. 
And he's also sent his men after David to kill him. David, with the help of his wife, Michael, has escaped. And then we have these verses in 1 Samuel 19, beginning in verse 18. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as the leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time. They also prophesied. From this scene, we get this idea of cultivating a culture of listening to God. Cultivate a culture of listening to God. Notice that when David is in trouble, he does not run to his biologic family. Rather, he runs to Samuel. Smith's Bible Dictionary goes so far as to say that Samuel was David's spiritual father. So David goes to Samuel... Samuel's in his hometown of Ramah, and it says that together they went to Naoth. Naoth simply means um, habitations or dwellings. And it refers to a complex of houses in a certain section of Ramah where a company of prophets lived. And as the scene unfolds, the people who show up there are so overcome by the Spirit of God that they too begin to prophesy or to speak forth, to declare the praise and the truth of God. Now, before Samuel's lifetime, there were other prophets and there was prophecy. But Smith uses texts from the Old Testament books of Samuel, Chronicles, and Kings to make the case that Samuel reformed the order of prophets. Samuel was the one to establish these colleges of prophets like the one we see here at Naoth. The concept of this college of prophets was similar to a theological college. So students would be gathered and trained for the office of prophet that they might one day fulfill. And their main subject was the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures And their interpretation. So just because you belonged to this company of prophets and you went to this college of prophets doesn't automatically mean that you would be inspired, anointed prophet. However, the people that we think of as like the main prophets in the Old Testament, the ones we read about who have books named after them, seem to have been from these colleges. So what I want you to understand is that Samuel was not only interested in learning to listen and obey for himself, but he was also a mentor to David and also the founder of a whole movement of people who learned to do the same. Listening for Samuel wasn't just a private thing. It was a community thing as well. He trained others who trained others and on and on so that the understanding of God and the understanding of God's covenant relationship with his people survived this theocracy to monarchy transition. 
All of this happened in part because of how God used Samuel. God used a man who listened to create a whole culture of listening. So what would it look like for us to cultivate a culture of listening? Now, I'm not saying that that isn't already part of our culture together as a church. But what if we leaned into that even more? What might that look like? I think that it would look like us more regularly and frequently and openly talking about what we're learning about listening. What we sense God may be speaking to us. How we're testing that. Does that resonate with you? I think it would include um, getting some mentoring about listening, but then also at some point becoming mentors in this whole area of listening. I think that it includes when we make decisions as a church or in our ministry teams or even as families around the dinner table, when we face crossroads or questions, that we say, well, let's ask the Lord. Let's ask the Lord and let's listen together. Samuel was a man who listened. And the transition that unfolded in his lifetime could have derailed the people of Israel. It could have really taken them off the course of God's plan. But God used a man who listened to keep them more or less on course. And God's greater purposes were advanced. And that is kingdom success. We talked a couple of months ago about the idea of Jesus as our healer and the whole um, practice of turning to Jesus first when we need healing, before we reach for ibuprofen or make a doctor's appointment, that we turn to Jesus first. And I think that we could say a very similar thing here, that when we are facing a decision or some change or some criticism or a crossroads, that if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is our Lord, then we should listen to him first. Because we have a lot of options when those things unfold. We can um, see what everybody else is doing, or we can do some research, research, those of us who really like data. We can go with our gut We can do nothing and just kind of take a passive approach and just sort of see what happens. But I'm proposing that before we do any of that, we turn to Jesus first. He may use some of these other things to also inform and guide us. But he is to be first. Jesus was talking about himself as the good shepherd in John 10, 4. And he said, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. I recently heard Ira Towns, who is uh, on staff with our district, I heard Pastor Ira preach a message on the life of Samuel. And he unpacked in a much more comprehensive way all of the reform uh, and all of the um, structure that Samuel provided for Israel during this transition And Pastor Ira essentially said, because Samuel was a man who listened to God, he became a force of nature. 
Because he was a man who listened to God, he became a force to be reckoned with. I would add a soul on fire. Samuel was one who was most likely to succeed, at least in kingdom success. What an amazing life. What an amazing course to run on. I would love for us to keep running down that course together. Let's pray. God, I do thank you that you are not only a God of the past, but you are a God very much of the present, who is still attentive and active and speaking and guiding. I recognize that in a room of, people, a room of, of this size, there may be people among us who may feel that they have not ever had that experience of hearing you speak. And so, God, if that is the case, I pray for them that as they read scripture in their everyday course of life, that when the time and the circumstances are right, they would see some things leap off the page and feel that burning in their soul and learn to recognize when you are speaking. I pray for others of us who've had those kinds of experiences, but it's been a long time. May we position ourselves in places where that frequency will be just as high as you want it to be. And God, I do pray that we would be people who would practice the kinds of things that would put us in a position to be ready to hear you speak when you choose to speak. And I pray that we would be people who are responsive to what we hear. That we would, in the Hebrew sense of the word of listen, not let those words fall to the ground, but that we'd snatch them up and run with them. God, we pray you'd lead us on a great course of this kind of dynamic relationship with you for the sake of your glory and your purposes. We pray it in your name. Amen.